You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. All right. Good, good to see everyone tonight. Uh, in the, uh, in the fifth of these lessons, I'd, I'd like to begin tonight to get y'all to turn to the last page of, of the stuff I gave you tonight. So section five, the, uh, the very, very last page where it says summary. Do we have another one of those number fives? Mr. Green has it. Okay. I, what I did on this page, and I'll keep this as a running page, is just a summary of each of the lessons previous so that I can get us to this point quickly. So the, in, the, in the very first one that we looked at, in that first clip, we, we, we identified that recognizing the broken heart and the broken life and the broken identity is, is absolutely the next, is the first step in healing, the first step in recovery of, of any kind. There has to be this recognition of, of the need. I, some, God has to bring us to that point where we absolutely know that something in our life has to change, just as we saw early in McKenzie's. The second one is that there will be no healing, no restoration, no salvation without an encounter. We, ha- we can't know more about God and expect anything to change. We have to meet him and there has to be an encounter. The third lesson that we looked at was that there has to be a direct, a drastic correction in who we believe God is, who we believe God to be. We have so narrowed by our history, by our teaching, by religion, who we believe God is and the heart that he has. But I want to tell you this, this evening. There are times in my office when by the nature of the conversation, my tears just start. Now, I will admit that I'm tenderhearted. Jan gets to witness that in the strangest times as we're watching TV. I'm very tenderhearted. But there are so many times when the tears aren't my tears. They're actually the tears of the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds strange, but we have to begin to understand that who we think God is, believe God to be, who the Father really is, is so drastically different. Again, just as as a point, there are are many who are bothered by the movie, bothered by the book that God happens to show up. Papa, Father, shows up as a black woman. Yet, Jan and I having three kids, there are times when whatever was going on in that child's life They needed Jan to come talk to them. They needed what Jan could bring. They needed what the the comfort or the the consolation that, that her voice would bring. Sometimes what was going on needed my voice. Sometimes it needed that strength. Sometimes it needed correction. But we knew somehow that we could go in by the, by the nature of what was going on in their story and bring the voice that was needed. Now, do I think I have a capability greater than God's? No. 
So should it surprise us that God knows how to come to us and speak to us, whether it be through the voice of a mother or the voice of a father? Because we seem to figure it out. Doesn't it seem reasonable that God could figure that out as well? And know how to come to us and speak to us with the tenderness or the strength or the encouragement or the wisdom of a voice that we needed to hear? Until we begin to understand God in those terms, we will see him as distant and maybe removed because that's what we have been taught. So there has to be this drastic correction, this drastic adjustment in who we believe God is. The fourth one is that there won't be any healing or restoration or deliverance or repentance or salvation until we know that God knows us and loves us. Please understand, in the most drastic ways, there are so many times in our life when we want to be able to reconcile something mentally. We've got two choices, we've got three choices, and we want those choices to reconcile. We want everything to line up. I will use Jeremy and Calera because they have shared this publicly themselves. But to receive the news that they did that day in the doctor's office that they were going to have to make a choice that they just couldn't even imagine making. And they were, I could tell the anxiousness and the, and the anxiety and all that was going on in them mentally. And for me to open my mouth and for the Holy Spirit to begin to speak. Now, I will, this is one of those moments that I can clearly define what was coming out of my mouth I had never heard before. It wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't learned. The Holy Spirit was using my voice to communicate something because I'm hearing it for the first time just like they were. When the, when the Holy Spirit begins to, t- and I asked Jeremy that question, Jeremy, what are you feeling? He said, Randy, I can't even tell you the sadness that I'm feeling. And I asked him, I said, Jeremy, where is that sadness originating? And in his mind, in the moment, it was like it would be the answer that any of us would give. It's originating because of the moment, because of the choices we're making, because of the situation. But very quickly, he caught it. He said, no, it's originating in the Father. What difference does this make? That emotion that you're feeling, that sadness is originating in the Father because that's exactly what he's feeling. We have never let God go there. We've never let God be that God, that God that actually feels what we feel. But again, I'll go back to the same illustration. If your child is hurting, what's going to be happening in my father's heart? I'm hurting. Jay got his arm broken and playing football and he's laying down on that table and the doctor's talking about the options and the choice was made, if you'll just hold him down, I'll push this thing back in place. It's gonna hurt terribly for a, few, for, for a little while, but we won't have to put him under and we won't have to take him into surgery. Everything in my father's heart said, get him up off that table so that I can lay down. I would have done anything to got him up off that table so that it would have been me that was there. 
I want to tell, tell you, if I'm capable of that kind of emotional connection to my child, where did that, where did that happen? That happened because, because God so loves you, so knows you, and feels what you feel. We've never allowed him to have that capability or to even go there. He was too distant. He was too calm. He was too steady. We never let him have those emotions. Well, I want to tell you, when your heart is breaking, I had someone in my office this afternoon, when your heart is breaking and you don't know where it's going and you can't make sense of it mentally, it's because God will only bring the reconciliation to you emotionally. That's how deeply we can say that he knows us and he loves us. We're not ever going to go into a place alone. We're never going to feel emotions that he's not feeling. Again, it's, it, it, it goes so against what we've all ever been taught about God that he's kind of this fixed point. Well, I love the fact that somehow he's able to become the fixed point and also know exactly and connect with me in ways I've never allowed him to before. He loves us. He knows our situation. Number five is where we'll be going tonight. So if you'll go back with me, I think to page 16, or no, 17, handwritten there on the bottom. You'll find here number five, just like you will on the bottom of that last page. Here it is. There will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance, and no salvation until what we know becomes faith. Now that seems like that ought to be logical and reasonable. But I want to tell you, most of the people that, that are living in brokenness, that have been living in brokenness for years, know a great deal about God. They know a great deal perhaps about Jesus. They know a great deal about the Holy Spirit. Why has that knowledge never turned to healing? Because what we know has to be transferred into faith. What we're going to watch tonight in this movie is when that occurs learning a great deal about who Papa is, who the Father is, learning about who Jesus is, learning about who the Holy Spirit is. But I want to assure you that learning will never bring healing until that, heal, until that learning becomes faith, until that learning becomes trust. This confirming reality, knowledge becoming faith, must overcome years of misconception, misinformation, and disappointment in most who confess a belief in God. We're not talking about lost people. We're talking about believers who have never let this information that they've learned about God, who they think he is, who he, what we think he feels about us, overcoming all of that misconception will allow, allow real information to become faith. Come in, Mr. Nichols, glad to see you. Most who come for help have little faith that God can make any difference. Isn't that strange? A God that they've studied about, been in Sunday school, got all the patches, got all the badges, you know, got all the awards for perfect attendance. In Sunday school, over many years they have done this. 
but they still have very, very little confidence that God can make any difference, any practical difference in their life. Until they actually know him, they will not trust him. Until they know him, they will not trust him. Before someone is delivered, I ask them four questions. Question number three of those four is this. Do you believe by faith that God will do what you're about to ask him to do? Take away the false identity. Do you believe by faith? And again, I have to ask it that way because many would believe that God could. Many believe that God would. But faith is what allows him to do it. Again, same illustration. When you walked into this sanctuary, you believed that these chairs would hold you. But that is not faith. Faith happens when you come into a place and you back up to a chair and the weight of your body hits that chair and the chair goes to work on your behalf. That is faith. Belief says it will. Faith causes it to do it. Trust keeps you in the chair. You're not wondering, sitting there, I wonder if it'll hold me now. I wonder if it'll hold me now. I wonder if it'll hold me now. I wonder if it'll still hold me. I wonder if it'll still hold me. No, because trust says that my faith in it allows the trust to realize that it will continue. So we have, it's, it should be no great surprise uh, that we ask that question. There are some or many who struggle to answer that question you'd think that would be just this automatic, yes, I believe by faith. But when I ask it, boy, for those people who have been disappointed by God or think that he hasn't delivered at some point to think that somehow he didn't do something on their behalf he was supposed to do, believing by faith that he will do something now is not an easy step. And many falter or have questions right there. They know he can, but often don't think that he will. The messages found within this ministry, deliverance, must begin to transfer the truth of his love to the reality of faith and trust. Where we are in this scene, Mackenzie has had dinner, largely what we talked about last week. The scene that we ended on last week was Mackenzie leaving dinner and going to bed. This is when he's waking up, stepping back out on the porch and, and meets with Papa. Give me a scripture. For God so loved the world. It just says the same thing. 
Can you see where that perspective would, would create a very difficult moment for, the, for faith? I mean, and I, I wonder what percentage of the Christian world believes that. That we have been taught that God is in some measure angry and that he loves this wrath part of, of who he is. We've been pretty heavily indoctrinated with that perception of God. So is it any wonder that, it, that at least we have to get past that if we believe that? To believe that somehow he's connected with my story in a caring way, a loving way that really matters to him? If I, if I really think that he's really been watching for the purpose of punishing those who disappoint him? You see, when, we be, when that begins to clear up, because what would be the chances that McKenzie's going to trust God to do anything on his behalf from that point of view? It ain't happening. Yeah, he doesn't deserve it. So there has to be this transfer, as, as she's saying here, what are you talking about? So he's expressing his heart that is causing him to stumble and explaining a little bit why there's been this lack of healing in his life for so long because that's the God that he thinks he's dealing with. And unfortunately, it's the God that many think they're dealing with. So in ministry, in this deliverance ministry, that perspective is not unusual. And we can't really be, be, be alarmed by it. I wrote here in the first bullet in letter A, from, that, from the perspective that Mac shares, it's easy or simple to understand why he, will, why he will trust God with such little hope. If we see and truly believe that God punishes those who disappoint him, it is very hard to turn to that same father with any great hope of more than punishment. Punishment and the avoidance of punishment will dictate our lives. If I know him that way, then I'll try to be good. Why? To avoid that punishment. Again, we call that sin management. There's a heavy focus on doing things right and not doing things wrong. Do good and avoid evil because that, that makes him happy with us and we avoid the punishment. Under that, in the letter B, there is a deep misunderstanding found in this conversation that rests in many believers. It finds its foundation in the error that the Bible is about what we do with a very singular focus on sin. However, the great misconception is that God has saved us and now the life is up to us to live in a way that pleases him. That's a terrible misconception. That I'm saved now and it's up to me to live in such a way that I can actually please him. What's the chances of that? It's a dead loss. To believe somehow that now that I'm saved, that I, that I now have within myself the ability to live in such a way that would please him, that I can actually do good enough things, I can make good enough choices, I can avoid enough bad things that, that somehow by my choices, by my life, I can actually please him. 
we must know, remember, and share that there has only been one person ever qualified to live the Christian life. Only one. That someone is Jesus, and he has sent his spirit to indwell us that by him, disappointment is not possible. Does that change theological things? To believe that you cannot disappoint God? It changes everything. That's right. Because when we realize what he actually came to do, not only to save me, but he, you know, again, not hard to, to consider if this bottle was dirty, but it's the only thing that I had to drink out of. No one would be shocked if I went down and I took it down there and I washed it. By his blood, the vessel has been made clean. But why? What was the point? So that we can carry around this clean vessel and say, look how clean I am. No, that wasn't good news. Part of it, but the good news was now that it's clean, it can be filled. And not only filled, but it will overflow. See, that's the good news. Because he knew that, you know, what would be the chances that this plastic bottle can produce water? Zero. What are the chances that now clean I could produce something good? Still zero. I have no more chance of producing something good out of my life than this bottle can produce water. What was the bottle designed to do? Hold the water. What am I designed to do? Hold the Spirit. He's the only one qualified to live this life, and I will assure you the Spirit of God will not disappoint the Father. You see, there's a big misconception within this conversation on McKenzie's part that somehow he's supposed to be living a life that was pleasing to God because if you don't, God's going to punish you. The indwelling Christ is the only one who can meet his own standard of righteousness. Okay, just stop there for just a second. Bullet C. Faith can build when we receive such simple truth. You see... I want you to begin to understand this conversion moment, this transforming moment in McKenzie, when what he's learning about God suddenly begins to be faith. Because McKenzie's going to have to, if he's going to be healed, there's a place where he's going to have to really trust God. There's a place where he's going to have to listen to him and believe that the change can really occur because McKenzie's already announced there's nothing you can say, nothing you can do, he's fixed to say it again, that will justify the death of his daughter. That's the perspective in which he holds. Faith can build when we receive such simple truth. Sin is its own punishment, doesn't require God. If sin does and is, is its own punishment, I can separate his hand from a great deal of hurt. If Shorty steps on the end of a rake on the tines and it comes up and slaps him in the face, 
Who am I going to assign that responsibility to? Mr. Hensley here. What if I have this mindset that he's getting it because, it's because he's done something wrong? Who will I assign that to? Teresa. <laughs> or God. Our God. Our God. Got kind of one and the same. <laughs> you see how if we live in the wrong, if we live in the wrong mindset, and something happens to Shorty, I can't even assign that he did on, on his own to God. Now clearing that up suddenly lets me begin to create this separation between something that hurt somebody and that God didn't have a hand in it. But if, you, if, if the mindset's wrong, then if, when something bad happens, then we're going to have to somehow assign that. And I hear politicians do it, and I, I just, I just it's weary. And this is, this is several years old, and I won't even mention the presidential candidate, but there was a huge storm in the, on the East Coast and with great devastation. And they get on the, on the television and say, this is God's wrath against what they're doing. And we perpetuated on national TV that God's angry at most of the people out there and that you better be careful because he'll come and get you next. We struggle to accept under the teaching that God is in control, that God is not aggressively correcting us, and that his open arms are the escape from such punishment. Again, there's a lot of teaching that I would, I would love to stop and do that, but we would be here way too long. The difference between God being in charge and being God in control. But if we believe God is in control, we have to assign every bad thing to him. God is very, very much in charge. Okay, can you feel it shift? Can you see where the knowledge of God can, is becoming faith? Then he's, he's saying, may be very difficult for you to accept, but everything you've defined as a mess, I'm in, I'm in the middle of working in that mess for your good. Knowledge of who God is will allow our trust in God to begin to build faith. Again, if, if this stuff doesn't shift away from McKenzie, if he doesn't begin to grasp this truth that, that Papa is sharing with him, the faith will never grow. He'll never trust God to bring any type of healing or reconciliation. Look at the bullet that I, that I placed under this one. Again, it's very difficult for anyone to turn to God with simple faith to help if they can't disengage from the thought that he caused their hurt. Don't we, don't, we, don't we teach that that's a little bit ridiculous for a child to be abused by a parent and then the parent believe and expect that that child will come get up in their arms? Doesn't it seem a bit ridiculous? We would never encourage that in a child. It doesn't even make sense to us. But, but when, and unless we begin to see things correctly and, and, and the faith bill that we can go get in his lap because he understands our hurt, I'm going to have to disengage from the fact that he's the one that caused my hurt. 
Both will cause people to turn from him and walk away. You know how real that question is in the world? Man, we better be ready because this is where we're losing them because they can't disengage the two things. Again, I would like to camp right here and talk for the next two hours, but I, but, but I won't for, for time's sake. But I want to tell you, this is where we need to be extremely prepared. Let the Holy Spirit bring truth here. Why doesn't God stop them? I had this conversation this afternoon with a couple that was in my office facing some things in their life together, things that they just wish God would step in and change one detail, change one fact that would just relieve their anguish, relieve their questions. And there's this, even in the middle of such great faith, there's this real small why that lingers. And I spent the afternoon speaking of this reconciliation. How do we resolve this? How do we deal with this very question? The question we have or the questions we will be asked are often this straightforward and this challenging. We cannot fear these questions. Mac is being totally honest about his lack of trust and how his incomplete picture of the Father is affecting that trust. Right now, and we're fixing to hear it, he doesn't understand the Father and is certainly affecting his faith. Kenzie, you're trying to make sense of your world based on a very incomplete picture. Incomplete picture of whom? Of God. What does it mean to look to the knot hole of your own pain? I found that to be an interesting phrase and an interesting picture. Matter of fact, after I heard it, I probably used it many times in my office because I can describe something there. If I'm, if I'm able to look at you and I'm, I, I mean, I can take in every face. I can look into every set of eyes. But what if, and this has happened, what if I start developing this very, very intense pain in my stomach? What will happen from that, from that physical pain? What will happen? Will my view of you change? Yeah, because I can't look at you very long. I, I mean, I'm, I will squint. I will bend. My view is drastically altered by the pain. Now, if your heart's been broken, if you're carrying a false identity, guess what happens to this view? 
it begins to narrow, and it begins to narrow, and it begins to narrow. So now this is what I see. I'm looking through this knothole, and I'm missing much because the, the pain has defined my view. That's what Papa's reminding him of. You're looking through the knothole of your pain so that you cannot even see me because pain has defined your lens. Pain has defined the size of the aperture, what the size of the hole that you're looking through. What's she telling him? Until we deal with your pain, you cannot see me. I want to tell you, most of the Christian world cannot see correctly because of the pain that they've carried for so many years. And we shouldn't even be shocked by it. So somewhere this knowledge of God, these things that we teach with great profundity about what God shows us, I'm, I, I can tell you, I stand amazed. I don't even pretend. There's no arrogance in this statement. I don't even pretend anymore that God's still not blowing my mind after 11 years of preaching the stuff he continues to show me, the stuff he keeps revealing, and the stuff that I get to preach to you. I am still astounded that I'm not repeating after 11 years. I'm not repeating sermons. I'm not going trying to find one old one that maybe y'all will forget. Because after 11 years, it's still coming as new as it's always come. I, it, it, but I know what's happened. Is that when the old got removed, how much more there was to see. And it won't ever stop. But boy, when the pain it's doing this. And I visit with many, and the pains really created the construction to which we see. And it's very, very narrow. I find this statement to be extremely profound. This is letter F. Intense pain of any type will cause our viewpoint or our point of view to extremely narrow. We will be able to see very little honestly and fully if pain becomes the narrowing filter of perceptions. Understanding the Father and who He truly is is challenging enough in great circumstances when pain is added, our view of God is greatly altered. Some of you know this, but there have been three situations in the last two years when sitting here singing, pain started. Physical, intense pain, like somebody had me around, had their hands around my waist with their fingers digging into my stomach. And I got up to preach, and it wouldn't go away. And I've, I'm very careful not to give Satan any credit. But he wanted me so badly to bend over. He wanted me to do this because I knew if I would just do that, it would feel better. I didn't want somebody to come pray for me. I didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want to bring attention to it. I didn't, 
because I wanted that battle won by nothing more than the fact that the God who was speaking through me had already overcome that pain, and I, wasn't, I didn't want to draw attention to it. And it was so immediate when, I, when the sermon was over, the pain stopped three times in the last two to two and a half years. That, that whatever, he, what, whatever was to be delivered, Satan was determined you would not hear. Pain is real. And he knew that if I would bend to the pain that was being caused by him in this very specific moment of spiritual battle, that you would see the evidence of what he was capable of doing instead of what God was capable of doing. So if, if, if you ever see me up here and I'm acting funny, you, no, don't, don't give it to that. It's probably something else. If we just swallowed that totally, and I'm good, would faith begin to build? Naturally, instinctively, if we believe he's good, our faith in him, because then all these questions about why this bad stuff happened find another place to go and we can actually focus on the Father who loves us and I can believe by faith that his goodness also belongs to me. That he intends good for me as well. Let's see what I wrote. I'm sure it's impressive. Let's read it. Very few would openly confess that they believe that this, openly confess that they believe this to be true, but we meet but many live and act like it each day. We will not trust God if we don't believe he's good. We will assign him a great deal of misfortune. And I find that to be remarkably true. We, we assign him a great deal of misfortune. This captures it real well. Let me read it again. And if you knew me and how much I love you, hear the words, and if you knew, really knew me and how much I love you, and even when you don't understand, even when you can't make sense of the circumstances, can't make sense of the situation, even when that's going on, We can recognize, understand that he's working our life for good, and then you could trust me. Knowing becomes trust. Knowing becomes faith. Mackenzie is now confronted with this dynamic moment. There's a declaration of love by Papa. If Mac believes it and receives it, the trust will become evident as it later does in this movie. 
If he doesn't believe that God is working for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he will walk away and refuse the help. I would like to know, really, in the percentage of of believers today, how many have walked away and refused the help. I can tell it's very easy to tell. For people who are sitting in churches who have gone in broken and leave broken and gone in broken and leave broken year after year after year, then there is a question that lingers about who they believe God to be and God's power and his willingness to help them. We're not surprised now by McKenzie's response to what you just said. We, we see it. Trust you. Why would I do that? Anybody blame McKenzie for those emotions? No. He is wrapped up in the hurt, wrapped up in the confusion, wrapped up in the, uh, in the, because he's just now hearing. It's not connecting with him yet that God is really good. It's not connecting because she said it. Mackenzie, the basic flaw in you, in, in you is that you don't believe I'm good. That hadn't changed yet, has it? It will later, but it hadn't changed yet. And we can't become alarmed when we don't see that change immediately, because I want to tell you, some people who come in, first of all, they're, they're, they're coming in not, not really realizing, they're probably there because somebody asked them to come, and they're not really fully understanding that God has any intentions of doing anything on their behalf. We can't be surprised by these, by these moments. There is no faith yet, only when our understanding God and knowing his heart is real in our lives Will we trust him and know that he is present in each story? Okay. What's happening? They've had the conversation and Papa has told him a a lot about who he really is. He's even brought it to, Papa's even brought it to the point. If you, when you begin to know me, it will become trust. Please recognize that if you're ministering this to someone, or if you're sitting here processing it for yourself, that what you know about God must become faith. Somewhere we have to trust someone to do something and correct something in us we've never been able to correct. If we could have done it ourselves, we would have done it long ago. If we could have overcome our story, overcome our situation, we would have done it ourselves. But there's a reality that we're here in these moments, recognizing that somebody bigger than us, someone stronger than us, someone more capable of us than us must take what's hurting us and bring resolution that we cannot find for ourselves. That's faith. Absent faith, there will be no healing. 
our knowledge of God has to become faith. We know a lot about him. It just hasn't turned to faith yet. I deal with this moment a lot. So do you. I can, I can, I can name names and tell stories of how many people have come into my office once or maybe twice and walked away and said, I don't, I don't have any more faith or confidence this time than I've ever had before that my life can be any different. And you can't become alarmed by these moments. They are absolutely going to happen. But who does he see next? I'm just going to play just a little bit more of this just to make a point. Who does Who has to bring them back? Holy Spirit does. I can't chase them. I can't run them down. I don't even know how long this will take. But the Holy Spirit will bring them back. He's the only one, absolutely the only one that can do it. We cannot be concerned or alarmed that faith may not be understood and that many misconceptions about God must be overcome. We cannot be discouraged because... It is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring them back for healing. It's not up to us. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.